Amen. When's the last time that you felt like a beginner at something? When's the last time you started something and really had no clue what to do next? That's not a great feeling for most of us. We don't like that. Actress and singer and lots of other things, Helen Hayes said this, every expert was once a beginner. And that's what we've been celebrating in this sermon series, It's a Start. That, hey, we may not be where we want to be, but it's a start. Too often we let perfection get in the way of progress. And too often we miss out on things because we never start. I've asked my friend Dustin to uh, give us a little live demonstration today. Dustin and I have been friends since college, and he is an excellent guitar player, as you just experienced. So, uh, Dustin, let's, let's give this a shot, man. Tell, tell the people, how long have you been playing guitar? Uh, I've been playing guitar for about 18 years now. Mm-hmm. And you actually make your living through music, right? Tell, tell the people what you do. Uh, I'm the choir director at Kearney Junior High and Kearney High School. Uh, I've been here for seven years and I've been teaching music professionally for 13 years. Yep, so we got a couple, so the pride of Central Methodist, right here, baby, right here. So I asked Dustin to kind of show out a little bit and play us a little something that he prepared. So take it away, man. Very nice, thank you. So I'm, I'm interested, how many years of playing or how long of practicing do you think it would have taken you from the time you just picked up a guitar to be able to do that? Uh, I would say I wasn't able to do stuff like that until I'd been playing close to a decade, like 10 years before I felt like I could actually try to do that stuff. That's right. Now, I've done a little bit of guitar playing in church. That was like a little Lincoln Brewster action, right? Yeah. And people would be like, hey, can you play Lincoln Brewster? And I'd be like, hey, if I could play Lincoln Brewster, I wouldn't be here with y'all. Okay. <laughs> so you, you did really good. So to, can you walk us through, like, if you're a beginner of, of an instrument, like the guitar, how, what is the process throughout those 10 years of practicing? What does it look like to go from zero to Lincoln Brewster? All right, so uh, I also do not play like Lincoln Brewster. If I, if I would, I wouldn't be here. But uh, starting from the very, very beginning, um, I want to say when I first started learning how to play guitar, you know, um, I learned it just like a lot of people learn, like beginning band instruments and whatnot. It started off with a bunch of, like, melodies. And so it was like a... know, doing a lot of those common melodies, those lullabies and folk songs, you know, Twinkle Twinkle or Baba Black Sheep or Mary Had a Little Lamb, they're all three the same song, actually. Smoke on the Water. Oh, yeah, you know, but, but we played it wrong. We're like, you know, I'm not going to play anymore because I don't want to get into copyright issues. But, uh, <laughs> but, but, but with that being said, uh, that's where we started. And then after, you know, you've, you play those for a little bit, you start getting bored. You start bothering your teacher. You're like, hey, like, this is kind of boring. I want to play guitar. He goes, okay, well, here's a chord. And so we started strumming chords, all downstrokes, not complicated. And that kept me going for a while. I had to work. It hurt my fingers to play chords a lot like and and changing chords going from like one chord to the next one without having to pause and freeze was hard after that they're like okay make it a little more complicated you know here's a strum pattern this is where you start hearing people moving the right hand more 
right there for like an aspiring guitar player would be like a monumental achievement. Right, yeah. because right there you're like, oh, I can play songs now. Right, and then from there you start getting a little better, you start throwing in notes. Right, so it's the same thing, but you're like, oh, if I put my finger here at this time, it sounds a little more flashy. Um, and then you're like, oh, but there are chords that I can't play just down here. So then the teacher's like, okay, move on to bar chords. Start learning the neck of the guitar, starting learning some notes, starting to learn where that goes. And then you're like, but bar chords are hard. They're like, oh, but you can play fragments of chords. So a very similar thing where you're playing the notes in the bar chords, but you're only playing parts of them. After that, they're like, you're like, well, I want to play lead guitar. I want to play like Lincoln Brewster, Eddie Van Halen, right? And they're like, well, you have to learn your scales. Well, then you go back to a boring part where you're going. And you're starting to learn theory at this point. You're starting to learn what key songs are in. You're starting to learn how to apply the scales and, and how they develop melodies to accompany the song, et cetera, et cetera. So your scales are in there. And then after you start learning that stuff, you start learning specialty techniques like bends. And you also start learning like, you know, like the fun like finger tapping stuff. And you start practicing that stuff, but that's not stuff that you play all the time. That's just stuff that's fun, so you practice it. Um, and then when you get to a point where you feel like you've just mastered enough techniques or you've started playing with people, then you get to a point where you're like, oh, hey, I hear all of these elements in this song that I want to play. And so when Michelle Cobb walks up to you and says, hey, we're doing Joy to the World this year, and you're like, oh, sweet, I like Joy to the World, and then you pull up Planning Center and it's the Lincoln Brewster Joy to the World, you freak out for a minute and you're like, oh, wait. I've been playing guitar for over a decade and I have the skills to actually slowly practice. I practiced that song for probably three months. She was nice, she gave me a three month head start. And, uh, and you know, and even then, after you've been playing a long time, it's, you, you keep practicing or else you can't play the things you wanna play. So to bring it all back around though, if I go back to, oh hey, <laughs> I'm on the live stream. But um, if I go back to this right here, you'll hear the melody stuff from the beginning. Right? Do you hear the finger tapping stuff? That's also a lot of the theory and scales. Chord fragments. And then that G major scale from earlier. So in time, it sounds like this. Thanks for bringing it all together for us, my friend. Let's give it up for Dustin. At home, a couple of us here. Thank you so much. Now, I don't know anybody who would pick up a guitar on day one and think they could do what Dustin just got done doing. Right? So if none of us think that when we begin an instrument, we're going to be Eddie Van Halen or Chopin or, or, or Billy Joel or whoever, uh, we, we understand that. We understand that as you practice, you build your expertise, and that comes slowly over time. So if, if none of us think we're going to be an expert on an instrument day one, why do we bring that approach to faith? 
Over and over in my life, in ministry, I've heard people say, well, I can't do that, or I can't do fill in the blank. I can't lead a class, or, oh, I don't know about coming to church. I don't know enough about the Bible, folks will say. As if there's some type of biblical ACT you gotta pass just to like enter the church or to try something. That's just the wrong mindset in my opinion. You don't have to be an expert to grow in your faith. When Jesus called the first disciples, he simply said, follow me, follow me. And there was no way that these early disciples, as as some of them literally left their jobs on the spot to follow Jesus, there was no way they had any clue of all the things that Jesus would say and do. In fact, scripture records many times, particularly like Peter, in the midst of Jesus' ministry, not understanding fully what he was doing. So this is very important to me. What qualified the disciples to follow Jesus was not that they were experts. What qualifies as someone to follow Jesus is that you're willing. You're willing. That's what makes you qualified. So this message isn't for experts. This message is for all of us. Because even if you've been a Christian a long time, our journey is never fully complete. We can keep going and growing in faith because faith is about growth. Over and over again in the New Testament, Jesus uses agricultural imagery to describe the life of faith. A seed that fell into fertile soil. A mustard plant that starts out teeny tiny and then blooms into something mighty. I I didn't expect that to rhyme when it came out, but there it is. Uh, Jesus, over and over, and we're going to see this today, he spoke of a desire for his followers to bear fruit. This is the language of growth, something that starts small and grows from there. And it's to one of these pictures that Jesus gives us of agricultural imagery of growth that we turn to in our scripture today. We're gonna be reading from John 15, one through eight. The Gospel of John was written by one of Jesus' disciples named John, and he wrote it as a biography to talk about the amazing life and ministry of Jesus. And I love that John doesn't leave it to mystery as to why he wrote the book. He tells us his motive in John 20. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. I hope that's true for all of us today. So as you experience our scripture today, be listening for that language of growth, the the agricultural metaphor that Jesus gives us. In John 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So we're going to leave a few things unaddressed here. What, is it, what does it mean to, to be a branch that's cut off and burned? Or what does it mean uh, for, for God to prune us to be more fruitful? Those, those are just things that we can't unpack all of in, in one sermon. Another sermon for another time. Twice, Jesus says, we're to remain in him. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, let's keep going because we hear more about it. I am the vine, Jesus said. You are the branches If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's a pretty definitive statement, isn't it? 
Like, I, I think apart from Jesus, surely I can do just a little bit. Well, not according to him. So I'm going to read this one more time, just for me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Again, to be a branch thrown into the fire or for whatever you wish to be granted, these are things that deserve a lot more time than I'm going to be able to give them this morning. But when I read this passage, I'm struck by an essential question. What does it mean to remain in Jesus? The Greek use here is minate, which means to continue a certain state, condition, or activity. Jesus says, minate in me, remain in me. It's also translated stay or reside, and other scripture translations translate it abide in me. Jesus used the picture of a branch connected to a vine. A branch which, when separated from the vine, will wither up and die and be bound for the burn pile. So what does it look like to remain in Jesus? Last week was a big deal in the Musto home and in anybody who's in education here locally uh, or has children that are in education because it was our first AMI day. When it snowed, it was our alternative methods of instruction day. Friends, snow days, I think, are a thing of the past. So we're still getting used to that. But my first grader got to take home his iPad the day before because inclement weather was expected. So he's got his gear with him and he received instructions to get on a Zoom call with his teacher. He, he got links to folders for things to read and assignments to do and activities to take part in all while they were out of school. Even though it was snowy, my son remained with his school. Jesus said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. One of the main ways we can remain in Jesus is to be familiar with his word, to stay in contact with Jesus through his word, to know it deeply and for his words to know us. Just like listening to Dustin Shred, this can be a little intimidating if you're new. That's the point of this whole series. It's a start because faith is about growth. To remain in Jesus, you don't need to be an expert. You need to be willing to grow. Too often we either don't start or we get stunted on our growth. And so what I wanted to lay out for us is a three-stage path for starting in our faith and going on to grow within it. Some of us are like me and can't really remember a time where God wasn't a part of your life. I didn't even know it was possible for kids not to go to Sunday school until I was like 11. I was like, wait, people don't go? <laughs> That's just how I, whoa, I'm so excited my mic is popping off. Look at that. There we go. I didn't even know it was possible to not go to church until I was like 11, all right? But others of us are very well familiar with the life apart from God or, or a time when we didn't know God. Some of us might be skeptical of faith. As, as Methodists, we believe in what's called prevenient grace. Prevenient grace. Check out my killer graphic. I was like, oh, what can I tell Mike to put together? And I was like, you know what? I've sketched this out for tons of people on like a napkin at Stables, okay? So I'm just gonna give you, I'm just gonna pretend like we're sitting down and I'm sketching this out for you at a kitchen table. Prevenient grace. Now that may be a big word, but we understand what this means, like a movie preview that comes out. This is a grace that comes before. 
Provenient grace is God loving us and working in our lives before we even know it. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. That's provenient grace. The entire Christian life is a life lived in response to God first loving us, proveniently. Even before we know God, God knows us and God loves us. That's provenient grace. Even before we can love God in return, God offers us his grace. Now we become more aware of God's existence through a variety of means. For others of us, it, uh, it, it, or for some of us, it might be a crisis that brought us to God. Maybe things in life were so bad that we were kind of hit rock bottom and, and, and needed to turn to God. Or, or maybe we've had some type of amazing experience, something that can only be explained by the existence of God. Lots of different stories, lots of different ways to come here. But when we become aware of our need for God and God's great love for us, we experience justifying grace. Justifying grace. Now that doesn't need to be a strange term either. Justifying grace is what a lot of people would consider that conversion experience or what some uh, Christian terminology would call accepting Christ. This is kind of that classic moment when, when you cross a line of faith, when you accept Christ. This is a classic verse where this comes from, Romans 10.10, 10, this term justifying. We read, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Now, for a lot of my life, I would hear terms like justifying grace and kind of nod along. And remember, I'd gone to Sunday school every day of my life ever. So, oh yeah, I'm Mr. Super Christian, justifying grace, got it, yes. I can spell it and everything. I didn't know what it meant. I was like 25 when my mentor in, in St. Louis, Pastor Michael, helped explain to me that when you are justified, it means you're held blameless. In court, if someone uh, responds with, with violent force and they're on trial, and, and that force was found to be justified, then they're not guilty, right? Being justified means being blameless. Former Chiefs running back and arguable Super Bowl MVP, Damon Williams, Damian Williams, opted out of his playing contract this year due to COVID concerns. This is what he told ESPN. My mom was just diagnosed with cancer and it's stage four, so that was my decision. With everything else going on, she was the only one there for me. During a hard time like this, I think I should be next to her every step. It was hard, football is my life especially coming off a championship and wanting to do a repeat. At the end of the day, this was something personal that I had to handle. Now, who could possibly blame Damian Williams for this decision to go take care of his cancer-ridden mother to give up his NFL career? Certainly, we see this decision as justified. We don't blame Damian Williams for not returning to his Super Bowl team. He is justified, seen as blameless, when we repent of our sin, acknowledge our need for God, and accept God's justifying grace, we are seen as blameless in his sight because of the work of Jesus Christ. And when we accept God's justifying grace, it's like we've crossed a line, the line of faith. But here's the problem, and here's why I drew that goofy little arrow on my high-tech drawing. A lot of us wanna hug that line as close as we can without going back over. I've seen too many kids get confirmed and then poof, oops, did I say it out loud? 
I've seen too many people have some kind of crazy experience. They make a bargain with God after a car accident. They cross that line of faith. And then what, what, what happened? See, when we focus too much on a decision versus on discipleship, this is the result. That we, we hug that line as close as we can. I still want to be in, but Jesus just barely. And we don't grow. The line of faith is the starting line, not the finish line. When God's provenient grace has brought us to accept God's justifying grace, it's only the beginning as we live into sanctifying grace. Now again, this doesn't need to be a word that's intimidating. To sanctify, you think of the word sanctuary. It's a holy place. God's sanctifying grace continues to make us holy as we become more and more like Christ becoming more like God, more holy. This is when we continue to remain in Jesus and to bear fruit as we become more like him. I love this verse from 2 Corinthians 3.18. And the Lord, who is spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. That's sanctifying grace. Now, in my experience, the journey of sanctifying grace is, is far from a straight line, friends. Looks a little more like this. Let's hit him with my fancy drawing one last time. Right? It's, it's, it ain't a straight line. So again, if you think that you're going to be Eddie Van Halen the first day you pick up a guitar when it comes to faith, that is not how it's worked in my life. Sanctifying grace is a journey that we go on. But faith is about growth. Willow Creek is a large church that started in the Chicago area. I've been touched by their ministry through things like the Willow Creek Leadership Summit. And several years ago, they conducted a massive study that had over 400,000 participants. You can go ahead and spare folks from my, uh, from my little crude drawing here. We can take that out of there. What Willow Creek found across this huge survey called the Reveal Survey was the single greatest factor in a Christian's growth in faith was reflecting on scripture. That was the common thread through all of the things they studied. Faith is about growth, and one of the best ways to grow in your faith is to have Jesus' words remain in you by studying the Bible with other Christians. Christianity doesn't have to be a solo sport, friends. Dustin's up here playing with the band. He's not just by himself. So for the next 13 weeks, boom, Three months, we're going to do a series called Long Story Short, where we're going to be looking at the major themes of Scripture from Genesis all the way through Revelation. And as a part of this series, we're going to be offering these groups that you can join in to go further in your faith beyond the worship experience. Check out our website. This is Church. Look at that. It's right in the middle. Signing up for a Long Story Short group. Pastor Sherry has a ton of options on there. I'm going to be doing, uh, I'm going to be hosting a group over Facebook Live on Tuesdays. So, so here's the deal. You can, you can come be a part of my group. You can just watch and take part. You don't even have to say anything. No one will even know that you've done it. You get to opt in and participate however much you want. You know, sometimes we're a little intimidated because we think people are going to be like, well, Terry, what do you think about God? And you're like, ah, bah, 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 bah. Right? All, we're trying to take down all of that intimidation factor. It's a start. I, I, I urge you to join me in studying God's word together 
As, as we've been distributed, man, it's so vital that, that we remain connected to each other and remain in the vine. Just try it. It's a start. It is my prayer that as we enter into this year and continue to seek new ways to gather safely, connect in community, reach new people, and serve others all in Jesus' name, that we would remain in Jesus by allowing his words to remain in us. Please join me in this opportunity to think and talk and live God's word together. Friends, faith is about growth. Let's use this time to grow together. And everybody said, amen. Let's pray. God, we think about all the million things that had to happen for us to wind up and worship together today. How you have worked in our lives and spoken over us when we didn't even know you. God, before we even knew how to spell our own name, you knew us. We thank you for your provenient grace. We thank you that, that we have knowledge and have experienced the love of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And God, if we haven't crossed that line of faith, may you work in our hearts in this very moment to continue to draw us toward yourself, to continue to work in such a way that will lead us to place our faith in you. And God, I pray that, that whenever we made that decision of faith or whenever we do someday, that that would be the starting line, not the finish line. That we would walk in the way that leads to life, that we would bear fruit, that we would show ourselves to be your disciples by the conduct of our lives. And we know that's only possible through the power and grace that you provide. We ask for that power and that grace to come upon us in this moment, that we would commit our lives to you, to remain in you, to stay in touch with you in, in all the different ways that that can look like. God, we wanna be people that are a vital branch in your vine. Help us to be a church that's defined by remaining in you and by your words remaining, by your words abiding in us, by your word living in us, as we reflect that to a world that desperately needs you. Amen.